Hi folks, I'm Alan Wharton. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 28th of February, 2016. Now, this is part four for the Master's Mouthpiece Coming Soon, your planned future of gloom and doom. And it certainly is gloomy because it's rather nasty to find out the future's always planned. You know, it's always been planned, mind you. And uh, it's always planned by the masters who control the big financial system that runs the world. They never let go, and uh, their families take over and so on. It keeps going down and down through the ages. And they always make sure that they run the countries they dominated uh, for themselves, for their own benefit, basically, at the top. And to make sure their progeny can take over and carry on into the future, living on an even higher standard of living for the elite themselves, while the rest of them are flattened out into what they call democracy, fear and all that. So we're all flattened out at the bottom on very meager rations. That's what it's going to come down to. And I've been talking a lot from the 2014 Ministry of Defence think tank's projection of the future up to 2045, and uh, it's quite explicit in there where they're going to take you all. And all the articles I'll read tonight, too, will tie in to this whole agenda. Because, uh, and most folk won't want to accept it, you know, the to disbelief. You know, I don't want to believe that. It's uncomfortable to believe that. So I'll believe we have a chance of something. Uh, they can hardly verbalize what they want a chance of. Uh, but they'd rather want to live in hope that they can somehow live a, a decent life economically, even though you don't have it now, most of you, and free from all the worries and stresses that this system places upon you, because we're ruled by crisis, you see. Crisis creation, and it's either through economic means uh, and uh, crashes and all that kind of thing. It's all planned that way. Every bank crash is always planned, all the big ones. And... It always, out of the crisis, of course, they, they further unite the world under global authorities, you see. It's been an old, old trick, and they've been at this for an awful long time, because they laid out their agenda really, really in the late 1800s, and you've been living through it ever since. Now, I started off years and years ago by telling folk that the future was planned. Uh, an uncomfortable message, to be sure because you've all been trained to believe in the version of reality that's always presented to you. Uh, part of it is indoctrinated into you. You learn a lot from your parents before you even go to school, because they were also indoctrinated into the, the master's version of reality. And you get the same indoctrination all through schooling and all through entertainment and so on. And you think, this is, this is reality. That keeps you in a lot of false hopes. And if you're in false hopes, you're always fighting the wrong things, you see. And they make sure there's lots of things out there for you to fight over, especially emotive topics that get you, get emotions going and, and your reason for, takes a back seat, you see. And when that happens, you're being used and you're being fooled. And there are many, many techniques being in use today, especially today with mass communication and sock puppets all over the Internet and so on, to make sure that you can be crippled mentally in a sense or even have a breakdown because lots of folk actually do have breakdowns today. They can't handle what they think is uh, a way out to fight, to fight something. And so that the, the big totalitarian system doesn't take them over completely. 
Others who have been perfectly conditioned, and they have been perfectly conditioned, you meet them all the time, uh, are quite happy with everything that comes along because they adapt and adapt and adapt into the next update on their reality, uh, given again by their masters and neuroscientists and so on. And uh, they think that uh, they're being taken care of. Those are the ones who've been totally socialized, which means being taken care of by better people than yourself. You know, it's almost like daddy figures and mummy figures uh, that are up there in business suits. And you might not even know their names half the time, but you think they're managing everything to take care of you, you see. And as long as you can vote, of course, you think you can always change it. Nothing's changed this, say, for over 100 years. The use of the term democracy has everyone fooled in the general population, but not for those who actually run the, the democratic systems. The histories, as I've said before, of democracies all go back to the one group who still run it today and their big plan for a whole global society run the way that they believed uh, it should be run, uh, with their natural masters running it, you see, which is themselves. And they put out in front of the public people for you to vote for. And the leaders of every party are pre-chosen by the CFR and the Trilateral Commission, you see, private clubs. It's hard for people who, again, are still stuck between their indoctrinated version of reality their daily news with all these emotive topics, it's hard for them to grasp all the facts enough to get past the hurdle to understand that nothing happens by accident on a large scale. This doesn't happen, certainly not on a global scale. And if you've watched the world and studied it, as I've studied it my whole life actually, you'll be quite aware that we simply go along through a script, a script that's written, uh, long before we're born, in fact, and your parents are born, and you're living through it too. Uh, it's been quite plain from the beginning where they want to take the whole planet, how they'll take the planet there, and all the tricks that they, they'll use as well on the way, which has been awfully successful. And people still rush out and vote, of course, because they're desperate. Uh, they want to try and regain some vestige of a better way of living, financially, more secure, etc., and yet, if you stop and just say, look at all the changes that have happened in your own lifetime, look at the word democracy, look at the, the revolutionary democracy of George Bush Jr., who, that was what the, the, the think tanks working with him, again, the same bunch, used that con game, and it was a con game, uh, to invade across the Middle East, or forcing democracy upon them. They had no intentions of doing any such thing. They demolished it all. Now, you think about it when you hear the following articles about democracy worldwide, etc., about fairness and equality. Always think of the massive cities, modern cities across the Middle East are demolished now. And now it's, it's reverted back into pretty well primitivism. That was to bring democracy in. Uh, so when they say there's going to be a more democratic world, more fair and just, etc., you better keep that image in your mind. 
when it's been promoted because you've never had democracy, not true democracy. The big think tanks, they're owned by the biggest corporations in the world and the big financiers. Are called, they, they're, they're classified as, as non-governmental charitable organizations. They fund thousands of non-governmental organizations, armies of them, who are the pressure armies. They put pressure and get all the attention of the media, because the media has always been in on it too, to push their agenda forward. Now, no one elects these NGOs, these non-governmental organizations. You don't elect the think tanks either. Neither do you elect the big charitable foundations that pay and fund them all and organize them and train them. So what do you have? Do you have democracy or a covert, more overt these days than never before, rule by corporations and their big non-governmental organizational armies that always put pressure to make you poor across the world, to introduce the cons of carbon taxes, energy taxes, to bring you into what they've termed austerity, mean poverty for you all, to make it the world more fair and just, you see, and to make sure that all your spending money is going to go to bare, bare minimum essentials. That's what they mean by democracy for you. Now, many people will still live in double think, as George Orwell called it, where they've been holding their minds two opposing opinions on the same topic and believe in them both. And they cannot crash through the false reality into the real, true reality. Because it is depressing. It's a war that's been going on for an awful long time. A real war against your mind. All of you. All your minds are always under attack. And being kept off balance, as I say, by threats of wars, wars and crises, etc. Financial chaos. You name it. Oh my God, get wiped out with... uh, some mutating bacterium or virus or something. Crisis, crisis, crisis. Now, if you look at leadership down through the ages, and if you know people too who are in positions of true, true leadership, they do not blow up and go berserk when they get bad news. Lower members on the totem pole, who are still the worker type, they may do so. But the guys at the top don't. They never lose their calm. Never. No matter what they hear, they don't lose their calm. And you must remember that too. Very important to understand what's really happening. Don't get caught up in emotive, nonsensical topics that go nowhere. Doesn't change a thing. Keep your calm. And you'll understand things far more easily as they really are. And why they're there, all these topics, all these different bits and bytes of information that tend to overload you. You're under war. You're under warfare. 
Now let's go into the Ministry of Defence projections, which are simply plans for the future. And you find out they're talking about interdependence. I mentioned that so many times over many, many years, this term interdependence, where no nation, remember, is to be completely independent, meaning sovereign. That's what happened to all the nations that are now gone. gone. They're called states now throughout Europe. They were previously nations. And now they're under a super parliament, a big massive block, you see. And we got the same thing for NAFTA. We got the free trade negotiations in NAFTA. And then they've merged them into the Trans-Pacific Partnership for a massive trading block as well. Well, you're going to page 84 of the Ministry of Defence plans here. And they talk about interdependence and international organizations. Awfully important. Awfully important. Globalization is likely to lead to increasing constraints on countries' freedom of action. So there you go. You can't be sovereign and be restrained on your freedom of action, you see. Uh, With countries likely to become more economically and politically interdependent. All the same terminology from the same people who brought you the, the European Union. As economic power shifts from west to east over the next 30 years, because that was always planned too, international relationships and institutions are likely to undergo a similar change in power distribution as well as becoming increasingly reliant on other countries for critical supplies of food, your basics here, right? Food, water, energy, and materials. Smaller countries in particular may find that the way to be most effective on a global stage is to work within blocks. See, that started off. That's how you're a European block, you see, and a North American block. So you had the Soviet bloc, you see. Such blocs may be structured around regional alliances or shared values to meet common interests in a more crowded environment. Current trends, we are likely to see more blocs with increased powers, although it's unlikely that many will have the same level of authority as a current economic union. Groups are also allowed to be established to seek solutions for wider challenges, such as enabling trade or, or countering the effects of climate change. See the big, the big con there, of course, to keep you in austerity, and re- resource allocation. So, see, you have no sovereignty at all because you see you have the World Trade Organization deciding who can trade with whom and what you can trade with them and what you can and cannot get, uh, sell to them and import from them and so on. So you can't be sovereign anymore. Future organizations look, may look similar to the G20, formed in 2008 as an emergency response to the global financial crisis. See, they always create the next part of their plan and they always must get a crisis going to justify the introduction of something that was planned a long time ago, like the G20. This is, uh, the G20 has become to be recognized as the principal forum for leading states to agree global financial governance. So global financial governance does away with your own internal 
financial governance. Always planned that way. <laughs> Who thinks in charge of the, this big, big plan, you see? And it's all crooked too, as you well know. The money means nothing except power to those who actually, uh, you know, just start um, creating it all and lending nothing to uh, countries, lots of nothings, but they want lots of real things in exchange. Another example is Alliance of Small Island States, which is A-O-S-I-S, whose member states are geographically dispersed formed around the shared interest of highlighting and seeking new solutions to rising sea levels. <laughs> these new groups like these countries could challenge or seek to reform existing international organizations. See, oh, did you vote for international organization? No. To provide legitimacy for their actions and increase their representation. You see. And believe you me, they don't give a darn about small islands, or anybody else for that matter. Such organizations may strengthen the conditions for countries to fragment. If subnational regions, here you have regions, which is also a block, you see, believes that their interests will be represented by international organizations. See, this governs by international organizations as front groups, you see. They may have less reason to stay within their original country. This is not a new trend. Regions within countries that have split throughout history, and this trend is likely to continue out to 2045. As part of the supranational organizations, countries are more likely to be subject to international rules, no longer sovereign, standards, and institutions. That, that includes all your legal institutions. They'll be, be run by a central body for the globe, you see. Further constraining their freedom of action. Increasing use of international tribunals, such as the World Trade Organization, which was set up again for dispute settlement mechanisms and so on, uh, supposedly, but it's much more authority than just that, uh, set up by the same organization, CFR, Rollins for International Affairs, same organizations, trilateral, their special brands of the same group. Set up the Bank for International Settlements, which is the bank for all central, central banks, which is also set up and it's private, and the International Monetary Organization, and everything else that's global, you see, runs the world. Private organization set them all up. One, they even drafted up the, the, the whole agreement for the European Union and gave it to the governments to sign. Did the same thing for the NAFTA agreement here in Canada, in the States, Mexico, and other countries too, Latin America. Private organization. You didn't vote for any of them. Most people don't, don't even know what they are. And I've never heard of them. See, so you only hear about in the mainstream what they want you to hear about. The rest of the stuff is simply omitted. It's just never discussed. The topics I'm talking about are never discussed. It's the groups that are run, really running the world and planning it all. It goes on to talk about transnational private arbitration arrangements. I mean, it's transnational, you see, regional mechanisms such as European, African, and American courts of human rights. The EU, that's European arrest warrants, and the International Criminal Court could bring 
formal justice systems closer together. In Britain, always used that as, as binding. There were binding treaties signed all the time until you're ruled by a foreign court that has nothing to do with you or even cares about you. I mean, and uh, they literally change all your laws to conform with this new court's uh, rules and so on, uh, which changes everything. Once you change the legal system, you don't, you know, it's no longer your, your country anymore. And the financial system too, naturally, but it never was yours anyway. And it says, um, uh, it brings them closer together. Some of these organizations, though, have faced criticism, which may hamper their future. Uh, effectiveness. The International Criminal Court is sometimes accused of being overtly focused on Africa. By 2045, there are still likely to be clear regional differences in legal and judicial practice and even between close allies such as the US and European countries. Now that really means, you see, you have to have supranational again, uh, significant uh, organizations, global organizations, that are running every part of what your sovereign country used to run itself. That's the whole trick of it. That's what the EU did, the Parliament, that now rules over Europe and other countries too. And it says, uh, driven by the growing self-confidence of member states and the increasing economic strength of emerging countries and so on, India, Brazil, Nigeria, South Africa, there may be continued pressure to expand council memberships. So they give them, see, that'd be a little bit of a bait. Oh, again, to be a ruling membership at the United Nations and a real saying what's going on. You're, you're helping <laughs> cut your own feet off, you understand. That's how it's done. And um, it goes on quite a ways, too, about uh, non United Nations security states and lack of consensus and so on. And how it's going to all be changing and getting pushed into the real goals by 2045. Interesting, though. Dry, but again, remember what I said before. True leaders are not actors. If you watch someone who has a lot of responsibility, I mean a lot, natural responsibility, a true leader, a natural leader, natural, you see. Uh, they don't panic. They don't blow up. The lesser ones do. The ones that are not natural. They're greedy. But true leaders don't panic. And you're, you're truly ruled at the top here. But very cold, true leaders. who know exactly what they're, what they're after. And they leave all the technical details to their lesser workers who tend to, yeah, they do blow up. Because they're greedy. They want to get up there themselves, but they'll never get up there if they let their emotions rule their reason. Now I'll go on to these articles here. And this one here was February 25th, 2016. It says, Hold the Trans-Pacific Partnership. What is this ISDS? Uh, lost amid in what was essentially was the, the Mani uh, Pacquiano, a non-issue in the death of legal giant Antonin Scalia. The Trans-Pacific Partnership was signed almost without fanfare last February 4 in New Zealand, uh, with Australia, Brunei, uh, or Brunei, Canada, Chile, Japan, Malaysia, Mexico, New Zealand, Peru, Singapore, and the United States and Vietnam. It's a humongous agreement representing 10% of the world's population, 
covering 40% of global GDP and 13% of international trade. And yet the TPP is confronted with profound obstacles. Current internal politics from both U.S., Key Republican Democratic leaders of the latter, notably Hillary Clinton, are against it. No, they're not. No, they're not. And Japan, its TPP ratification momentum, encountering a bump after resignation of economic minister Akira Amari and the new Canadian government's seeming lukewarmness towards the deal, make the odds of the TPP coming into effect this year minuscule. Well, we can count on that. One reason for the continued reluctance on the TPP has to do with the Investor State Dispute Settlement System, or the ISDS. Though a set of provisions that are present in other trade deals, uh, most notably the North American Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA, the TPP's ISDS has set off alarm bells due to its reach and possible consequences to a country's sovereignty. Well, no kidding, eh? The U.S. Trade Representative Office described the TPP's ISDs as that which deters foreign governments from imposing discriminatory or abusive requirements on American investors and protects the right to regulate the public in the public interest. Oh, never. That's never happened. Such sounds neutral, but note that it works both ways. Essentially, the issue is this. If a government decides, for example, to enact a measure designed for the public interest, such as the environment, health, morals, Uh, etc. A foreign investor disagreeing with that local law can sue that government under the provisions of the TPP before an international TPP uh, arbitral uh, tribunal and have such law overturned and compensation paid, which is the fine the country, which is your tax money. They've used that all over Europe uh, via uh, the World Trade Organization, which again you didn't vote into existence. Columbia's University, uh, Lise Johnson, uh, Lisa Sachs and Jeffrey Sachs, naturally, he's in everything. The real danger in TPP February 2016, put it this way, the investor state dispute settlement gives multinational companies outlandish sway over regulatory policies, including environmental protection. Don't be fooled by what they claim here. The, the environmental protection and the carbon tax is all part of getting you into austerity, folks. And to bring this whole thing into, again, a, create a world crisis that doesn't exist. They've been spraying the skies for years and years now, daily, and controlling the weather. It says, with the ISDs, the apertures uh, have the authority to review their president's decision, give their own opinion on what the appropriate course of conduct should have been, and order the U.S. government to compensate the investor if they believe a different decision should have been made, or if they disagree with the policy rationale for the decision. Note that what Johnson, Sachs, and Sachs say is applicable to all TPP members, because you're international now, you see. And they gave you different examples for it and so on. Related to the foregoing is the fact that under the TPP, foreign companies can sue a government on the ground that the latter violated the minimum standard of treatment. This is the standard applied to the treatment of aliens to be afforded to covered investments. This includes situations relating to criminal, civil, or administrative adjudicatory proceedings and the level of police protection required under customary international law. So, it goes on and on and on trying to explain it, but the th- remember they've been using this in Europe too. I mean, Britain was fined at one time for trying to export oak uh, that was too wavy. Nice flat board oak, but it was too wavy, you see. 
they want nice straight you know, lines in it, not, not wavy ones. And they got fined for that. So the taxpayer coughed up that via the government. And various other things like that. It's just money for nothing for the big boys and the WTO. And no one's investigating the WTO. Most folk don't even know what exists. And then you have this one. Commission uh, proposes new investment court system. This is back in 2015, September, for the TTIP and other EU trade and investment negotiations. The European Commission has approved its proposal for a new and transparent system for resolving disputes between investors and states. Now remember, the European Commission at the top is not elected. And a commission, this is how they, this whole deal has been brought in uh, to govern your courts and everything else under international law. They set up commissions, like the WTO was set up as a commission too. That's how they created the European Parliament. But we need people to look after the different um, negotiations on trade and things like that. So you, you get that, that's how they started. Now, they, now they're a parliament. And, the, and the, the commissioners are at the top. And, and all their meetings are secretive. So what's the point if the parliamentarians down below from all the countries of Europe? Well, they're prattling and so on. When the commission at the top either okays something or tosses it out or puts through their own policies. And that's what we're going to do with all of the worlds in the Trans-Pacific Partnership, Canada, the States, and all these other countries. It's, it's how they bring in a super-global parliament, folks. So they'll include the EU-US talks on transatlantic trade and investment partnership. Proposals for investment court system builds on substantial input received from the European Parliament, member states, national parliaments, and stakeholders through the public consultation held on ISDS. It's intended to ensure that all actors, as they call them, you know, can have full trust in the system. Built around the same key elements as domestic and international courts, so it's, it's all legal, it's, it's all court systems and legalisms, it enshrines government's rights to regulate and ensures transparency and accountability. Nonsense, rubbish. First Vice President uh, Franz uh, Timmerman said, with her proposals for a new investment court system, we're breaking new grounds. No kidding. Eh? A new investment court system will be composed of fully qualified judges. It's a whole new legal system that runs. Toss your sovereignty out the window, folks, because it's now global, you see. Proceedings will be transparent and cases will be decided on their basis of clear rules. In addition, the court will be subject to review by a, a new appeal tribunal. With this new system, we protect the government's right to regulate and ensure that investment disputes will be adjudicated in full accordance with the rule of law. So this is mainly to do with um, investment for, for investors. You know, Remember, too, these, all these different courts will rule on everything that you do in your own country. All of you. Then you have this one. Negotiators aim to sign the TTIP this year. They've already signed it, as you all know. Negotiators on the Transatlantic Train Investment Partnership claimed on Friday, 26 February 2016, that they were making progress towards reaching an accord by the end of the year as they completed the latest round of talks. You see. 
Under negotiations since July 2013, the TTIP would create the world's biggest free trade zone of one billion consumers, removing tariffs and harmonizing regulation between the European Union and the United States. Ready to seek the, and to conclude negotiations with the U.S. by the end of 2016, provided that the substance is right. That tells you a lot of substance, right? The U.S. top negotiator, Ignacio Garcio Bercero, told a news briefing after the 12th round of negotiations in Brussels. Why are they doing it in Brussels, eh? The super European Parliament. And why is your commission doing it too, folks? We must ensure we pick up the pace to, the, to get the agreement right, he said. I guess that means they're going to create more crisis to make it all happen. Negotiators for the first time discussed a divisive proposal to create an investment protection system, that's ISDS, that would allow companies to sue governments if they believe their interests have been harmed. The ISDs are very important, says, etc., etc. Opponents say the TTIP is undemocratic, naturally, and will lead to reckless deregulation at the expense of ordinary citizens once a deal is done. Well, you don't, you don't count ordinary You know, the pros don't count, as Orwell said. On Thursday, anti-TTIP activists stole the show at Brussels, cocktail party organized by the Transatlantic Business Council. This is another NGO, Transatlantic Business Council. Two sides aim to conclude the, the treaty this year before the end of U.S. President Barack Obama's administration. And so on, it goes, you see. And then this one here, uh, TransCanada suspends request. Says so it's all tying in. It means it goes back to, the, to, 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 to this uh, Minister of Defense thing here. We covered it all in that, before, long before any of this stuff came out here. Transcanada suspends, that shows you're on an agenda, you see, suspends request for permit to build Keystone Pipeline November 2nd, 2015. And he goes through the national briefing, and um, but the pipeline uh, uh, said it was, the permit was renewed January the 5th, 2016. And then citing climate change, Obama rejects the construction of the Keystone Pipeline November the 6th, 2015 again. <laughs> The $8 billion Keystone XL pipeline would have connected Canada oil sands to American refineries on the Gulf Coast. Offering the promise of improving prices, Canadian energy companies viewed the pipeline as a key to sustaining growth since the U.S. buys the vast majority of petroleum produced by the oil sands. But many American environmentalists, NGOs that work for big corporations, use the project as a proxy for the oil sands an energy source uh, that they considered particularly polluting. The pipeline plan got caught in a regulatory and legal struggle as the State Department environmental review dragged on for years. So it says, so Obama rejected the plan in November, saying that it would undercut the country's leadership on climate change. So they can start using all this nonsense you see, to suit themselves. Still, he added, uh, this pipeline would neither be a silver bullet for the economy, as was promised by some, nor the express lane to climate disaster pro- proclaimed by others. TransCanada said it would take out right down of $1.8 billion to $2 billion for its fourth quarter. The NAFTA, North American Free Trade Agreement, you see, these certain treaties, Challenges processes are processed do not uh, does not allow Canadian or Mexican companies to, that uh, that believe they're being discriminated against by the U.S. government 
to overturn decisions, but the measure which grew out earlier trade uh, provisions to compensate corporations after a foreign government expropriated their assets does allow them to seek a range of damages, including unrealized profits. The case filed by TransCanada at the Houston Division of the United States District Court for the Southern District of Texas does not seek compensation. Instead, the company is seeking to have Mr. Obama's decision reversed on the ground that he exceeded his constitutional powers. See, understand, every country's laws now are getting undermined by international treaties and agreements, binding treaties, as they call them, of this new global system. Again, it goes on and on and on about the companies and so on, etc., etc., and ex-person for everything, etc., etc., that you don't vote for either. So, again, I'll probably drag on and say for about six years anyway, this, this uh, haggling, etc., before they eventually either find one country or another, uh, and you'll pay up, all, up through your tax money to big corporations. And the WTO, World Trade Organization here, just ruled against India's booming solar program. So here you are. We'll make this, and, and it'll be good. And we'll explore. No, uh, the World Trade Organization, who you who don't vote into power, never did, had nothing to do with it. We have signed all these agreements in international bodies. Uh, now decides what you can make and what you can't make and what you can import and, or, or export and so on. You can't do it yourself anymore. On the heels of the recent global summit in Paris to tackle climate disruption, the World Trade Organization has ruled against an important piece of the climate solution puzzle. Well, the, the, the puzzle is just leave the climate alone. India's ambition, uh, ambitious program to create homegrown solar energy, it says the ruling shows that decades-old overreaching trade rules are out of sync with a global challenge to transition to 100% clean energy. So you see, we need a new, another bunch of commissioners and legal experts, global ones, to run all of that too. That's what it's all about. In just five years, thanks to India's national solar mission, India's gone from having virtually no solar capacity to boasting one of the world's fastest-growing solar industries. Just the last year, a parade of leading solar companies has announced plans to establish new factories in India to produce solar cells, the parts of solar panels that use sunlight to produce electricity. India has named the solar program as a core component of its contribution to the Paris Agreement to tackle climate change. Nonsense. It's all nonsense. But today, the WTO released its ruling, a legal ruling, you see, against India's national solar mission, deciding that India's efforts to boost local production of solar cells violated the WTO rules. So you're not sovereign anymore. Though India argued that the program helps the country to meet its climate commitments uh, uh, under the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. You see, they've got you in a stranglehold. The WTO rejected that argument. Indeed, the ruling body states that domestic policies seen as violating the WTO rules cannot be justified. So you cannot make national policies anymore. They're going to make it all for you. And so on. And of course, too, is to um, suit, uh, suit bigger companies that are probably based in China and owned by the guys that own the US, Canada, and every other country pretty well on the planet. Now we'll hop back to the Ministry of Defense think tanks projection of what's to come, you see. And this is called large-scale automation of work, this part. 
and that's page 71. And it reminds me of the BS, you see, uh, that was put out in the 60s and 70s by the big think tanks as they conned you into a beautiful future of utopia. And I remember helping a guy move a lot of uh, stuff out of his grandma's home when she died. And her husband, who was dead, had uh, stacks of magazines and newspapers, newspapers going back, way back through the 60s and 70s. And I remember looking through them because I've always been interested in understanding how it got to where we were already, you see. And that's how you understand the cons were used back then. And you can see the same cons down through your life getting used again and again. But back in the 60s, and again it was through the Royal Institute for International Affairs, you see, this big think tank that they owned as well. I had published this article on the utopia, and the big, every paper carried them that you had there, three or four editions of different papers and so on. And you had people, drawings of fucking Roman togas, believe it or not, because they'd control the weather by then, you know, in the millennium, which has passed already. And uh, you'd have no work to do. Most folk would be living, uh, just the biggest thing they'd be seeking is pleasure because nothing to do. It never mentioned how you get money or anything or how, uh, et or how you'd live and, and, and support yourself. No, you'd all be unemployed, basically. And, and the few that would have to work would consider a privilege, a privilege to work, you see, running the big system of utopia. It was all hairy-fairy, and we'd all be playing flutes and dressing these togas round springs and that, and all that kind of nonsense, this bright future. And Britain went through... It never come out of hell since before World War Two, And it's continued right through to the present time. Now it's pretty well gone as, as a country. And this, now you see the same thing getting repeated here, you see distinct tank, because when things work like, like Plato said, if you understand the sequence to implement a plan, an agenda, this worked in previous civilizations or generations. If you know the formula and study it, how they introduce bit by bit by bit, the public will adapt and go along with it. So the same formula will, will work again and again and again. Why change it when it works, right? Anyway, large-scale automation of work from the Ministry of Defense. Robots and automated systems have the potential to be near ubiquitous by 2045, capable of carrying out extremely complex tasks with no human involvement. Potentially, machines could carry out a manufacturing and agricultural tasks, repair themselves as well as clean, cook and tidy. Advances in artificial intelligences could make machines so lifelike that they are able to answer phones and call centers, take care of children and even teach Computers could potentially diagnose and treat almost every medical condition. Isn't that wonderful? If progress on this scale is made, in the future it's possible there would be very few jobs still carried out by human beings who could in practice be almost totally excluded from the workplace. Remember this was written a couple of years ago. And you're only hearing about it now in the paper, this big blitz to get you used to the idea. They're going to get ruled in by robots. Your cops will be robots, obviously. You know, Robocop. In richer countries, this large-scale automation of work would be likely to have a most positive effect. So don't worry if you're, if you're still classed as a wealthy country as you, as you go down the, the, the tube. 
if you slide down that big chute, you know, it's going to be positive for you, as governments would probably be able to provide their citizens with all the material comforts they need. Well, there you go. They'll just print out the money and give you rations or something, and you go out and play tennis all day. However, many people may initially struggle to achieve a sense of purpose and social status without work, with possible rises in cases of depression. Oh, dear. Educational systems may need to be totally redesigned to enable people to self-motivate and gain satisfaction from activities other than work. Well, I've been teaching them that for, for well over 20 or 30 years now. You come out of school with any knowledge that's any good to you. And it says, over time, when pop, uh, populations have become more used to a life without work, they may fill their time playing sport. We're back to the togas again. Painting, reading, and composing music, you see. Well, why compose it when you robots can do it themselves these days, you know? In poorer countries, however, large-scale automation of work could, still, uh, could stall economic development in poorer countries, you see. Perhaps even reversing it. For example, foreign companies would be far less likely to employ cheap labor as machines be, machines be so much more cost-effective and efficient, some employment could initially remain, as poor countries would be likely, less likely to afford the use of machines to carry on their internal labor markets. Eventually, though, automated equipment would probably become cheap enough for even these countries to afford. Poor governments may not be able to provide more than an extremely basic level of substance, meaning that people would have no way to improve their living conditions. This could lead them to become deeply frustrated and angry. Oh, dear. Nevertheless, citizens would still receive some benefits from large-scale automation, such as charity-funded machines, capable of providing very cheap diagnosis and treating disease. You see the conya and conya and conya, you know. And obviously, too, in this article, I was telling you that... that uh, <laughs> You're still going to have poor countries because it's all do with money. They can't afford things. So how's the money going to be generated, folks, when you're all unemployed and, and playing tennis? Or, you know, prancing around in a field in your Roman togas and uh, playing your flutes and that, you know? This is mass protests and civil unrest could still develop with anti-robot movements. Where you've seen all the sci-fis of condition to all this, and you'll think it's all normal when it comes. And these movements could become increasingly powerful, you see. And exhorting on about how to work it in with flexible working initially, etc., etc., blah, blah, blah. Yep, it's... You know that corporations have always been in the business of bringing you utopia where you don't have to work, right? That was the whole history of the Industrial Revolution, as is, 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 is they worked folk into their graves. And hardly, there weren't even substance wages. Behind it all was for the greater good of the future. We'd all be sitting again playing tennis and stuff like that and composing music, you know. Yeah. And then we go on. To this one here. The future is supposed to be a glorious place where robot butlers cater to our every need and the four hour workday is a reality. But the true picture could be much bleaker. Top computer scientists in the US warned over the weekend that the rise of artificial intelligence 
and robots in the workplace could cause mass unemployment. Mike, these guys are geniuses, eh? And dislocated economies, rather than simply unlocking productivity gains and freeing up all to watch TV and play sports. Well, how can you watch TV and play sports when you have no income coming in, eh? And a recent report from City produced in conjunction with the University of Oxford, highlights how increased automation could lead to greater inequality. No kidding. Geniuses. Thank God they're around to guide us only. If machines are capable of doing almost any work humans can do, what will humans do? The rise of robots and AI in the workplace seem almost inevitable at the moment. This article is 2016, February. And the Ministry of Defence, when I read just before that, was 2014. Hey, we're living along a script, folks, eh? Yeah, yeah well, here we go again. And it says here, um, the Financial Times reports that Moshi Vardy, a computer science professor at Rice University of Texas, told the American Association for the Advancement of Science over the weekend, we're approaching the time when machines will be able to outperform humans at almost any task. Well, how about the politicians? You know, maybe cheaper if you get second-hand used ones. Society needs to confront this part of the question before, uh, before it's upon us. If machines are capable of doing almost any work humans can do, what will humans do? Well, we'll be free to pursue leisure activities, but I do not find the prospect of leisure only life appealing. I believe that work is essential to human well-being. No self-sufficiency is, folks, and you've been that was taken off you long ago. <laughs> it's still going on, actually. So the findings and fears are echoed in a recent research you know, put out by Citibank and so on. And um, Citibank's global equity product head, Robert Garlick, writes in the report, Could automation increase leisure time further while also maintaining a good standard of living for everyone? The risk is that this increased leisure time may only become a reality for the underemployed or unemployed. That means you won't get your personal butler and stuff, you know. The report released last month, entitled Technology at Work, V20, concluded that 35% of jobs in the UK are at risk of being replaced by automation. 47% of US jobs are at risk, and across the OECD, the European Union as a whole, an average of 57% of jobs are at risk. In China, the rise of automation is as high as 77%. Do you really think they want you around, folks? Now, our previous Minister of Defence, when I read back, back in 2008, we're up to 2050, and said there'd be a drastic population decline around that time. What would cause that? Maybe get bored out your skull, but all die of boredom, eh? No, no, no. They don't want you around, folks. They don't need you anymore. The elite don't need you anymore. They are eugenicists. They, they have their wives picked for them to breed the right quality people. You understand? The inbreed. Been doing it for centuries. Anyway, Garlic writes, The big data revolution and improvements in machine learning algorithms means that more occupations can be replaced by technology, including tasks once thought quintessentially human, such as navigating a car or deciphering handwriting. And it goes on and on and on. Talking about retraining people. Wait, retraining you for what? Huh? How long have you been hearing that nonsense? The European Centre for Development of Vocational Training 
estimate that in the EU, nearly half of the new job opportunities will require highly skilled workers. Today, technology sectors have not provided the same opportunities, particularly for less educated workers as the industries that preceded them. And another one from Oxford, from the Oxford Martin Programme on Technology and Employment, says the expanding scope of automation is likely to further exacerbate income disparities between U.S. cities. No kidding. Cities that exhibited both higher average levels of income in 2000 as well as the average income growth between 2000 and 2010 are less exposed to recent trends in automation. Etc., etc. The future's all planned for you. Now, on page 86, it ends, basically, talking about growing populations and the problems they'll have leading up to this great target date, 2045. And they talk about, by 2045, you won't identify yourself with a country anymore, a country of origin. You see, what does that, what does that mean, eh, eh? Can you think it? What does that mean? And then they go about uh, uprisings, etc., because from poor countries and all the rest of it, because they can't afford the services. I guess they're too busy buying robots for butlers. Eh? And then you into the next page: identity and the role of the state. Page eighty-seven. And talk about folk who are discontent with our governments and they'll challenge it collaboratively. I've seen the Arab, the Arab Spring, which is all fomented and paid and funded and set up by the West. This could lead to increased civil unrest and extreme cases of disintegration of order in affected countries. A key service that states is likely to be able to provide in the future is security, particularly information security. What nonsense is that? As people live more of their lives online, and they shouldn't be living in their life online to start with, folks. That's not living. That's been guided by your masters. Safeguarding personal data is likely to be increasingly important. Private companies already provide much of our communications infrastructure uh, from post and so on, providing phone and email services and blah, blah, blah. In response to customer demands, they will take greater responsibility for making sure those services are secure. What rubbish. Since we're spied on by those who are bringing in this system to make sure you're under control. And then it goes into longevity of data storage. You see, that's awfully important because everything you've done your whole life long now for a lot of folk uh, is already, for the young folk, it's already online and, and NSA and a whole bunch of other agencies. So privacy, the longevity of data storage means that there's an ever-growing record of people's activity and attempts to avoid leaving a digital footprint may become increasingly difficult. At the same time, growth in number of surveillance devices is increasing at a rapid rate, and unless individuals go to great lengths to avoid detection, it's likely by 2045 a near complete record of their movements can be built up in and interpreted by an interested party. It's not just your movements, it's what you're looking at and what you're interested in, and your whole personality profile always getting updated by the help of, well, yourself on Facebook, etc. For example, criminality may prove increasingly difficult to conceal, allowing governments, businesses, and individuals to be held to account. But governments uh, may also increasingly exploit extensive databases and surveillance devices to monitor and curtail individuals' activities. Well, they already do. They're censoring people. And so on. And then they go even through into... Um, 
religion and ideology. Religion is likely to remain a significant component of people's identity with evangelical Christianity growing in popularity in Latin America, Asia and Africa. That's the feel-good type, you know. Just wave your hands in the air and feel good, which is that's what the government wants you to do, you see. It's not, not real Christianity. And it says here, as well as Islam becoming more prevalent in the Middle East and North uh, Africa, some religions are allowed to become increasingly politically assertive. Um, almost certainly continue to be assisted by globalization and by development in communications technology, permitting the messages of religious groups to unite uh, diaspora populations and appeal to a far wider audience than previously possible, etc., etc., etc. Well, your whole future is mapped out for you. And they'll have to address new challenges from religious groups. Well, they'll, get, they'll manage their minds. Well, they always have too. Like they've managed every other. In fact, they love groups. They, they create lots of groups for you to join, you see. That's why they give you such a variety on the internet. And folk fall right into it. And give all their data away. What they're thinking about. And all the rest of it. What the complaints are, in fact. Are they affected, disaffected. Whatever, whatever it happens to be. Now, folks, remember uh, that um, you can buy the books and discs of uh, my talks at cuttingthroughmatrix.com and uh, you can, you, people have <laughs> lost total count it's impossible to keep track of it of all the folk that use the, the archive section which is free uh, across the whole planet and lots of talk show hosts use it all the time but never mention you of course you see so you end up being a, I end up being a, an unpaid researcher uh, for uh, what ends up in their books and in their shows but so you can help support me by buying them, the books and discs, or, or, or and donating to me. You know, once in a blue moon, uh, just donate to me and help me take over. And I'll be back with another part of this same series. I know it's dry and it's boring, but it's real. It's all planned. It's, here's the plan, folks. So from Hamish myself, from a, a very snowy Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you. 